The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. Provincial rugby is done and international rugby is nearly here. And your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. We had a great chat and a lot of fun last week with Harry Wilson. And thanks to everyone who got in touch via the various means. You can do the same under the new episode page. Each week on the Raw, you can hit us up on the socials or please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me this week and every week, a man who... Judging by a recent social media post, has picked up a new side hustle as Vladimir Putin's chauffeur, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you? How's it, Brett? You're looking very nice today. Thank you. Thank you. Excited, You're excited right. about our guests. We have we have one of the most powerful people in Australia on today. Yes, <laughs> no, very. I, very I, heard, much. I heard he's the most Australian Australian in Australia. <laughs> We will come to him very shortly. Um, and I just we got. I mentioned I mentioned the response to Harry Wilson last week. A couple of little couple of little comments that we saw on the site this week um, from a, from Broken Shoulder, who said, "Surely Harry Harry Wilson pushes Harry Jones out of the number eight spot for the Raw 15. You'd have thought so, and yet it didn't. Fat old no. halfback said, "Harry has a great great attitude, and willingness to play tighter and charge into the wall for his team. Uh, it's increased my regard for him." Um, and then I loved Peter J just to end. Uh, great episode as always, lads. I've got a real man crush on Harry Wilson, so I was excited to see him as a guest this week, and he didn't disappoint. I only wished he'd ask him about his cricket obsession, and he is an absolute cricket nut. Um, I do remember that. So there you go. Great to see that so many people loved it, and uh, I'm sure everyone is going to love this week's guest who has done a pretty stellar job at putting Australian rugby back on the world stage in recent times. The Raw Rugby Podcast. It's to the pods, Sydney studio we connect this week. And while plenty of players have won a World Cup these days and are very, the very fortunate and lucky have won multiple, there aren't too many who can claim to have won two World Cups as a player and then delivered one to their country, as this week's guest has. And it's great to welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, former Wallabies captain, successful Rugby World Cup 2027-29 bid leader, Phil Kearns, welcome. Hey, Phil. <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. How are we doing? Yeah, we're very well. Thanks um, Thanks so much. I've just said uh, before we, we got on, we used to bump into each other in commentary boxes um, all around the place during uh, during your previous employer's time. Are you missing commentary? Are you missing getting around the grounds every weekend? Well, I'm, I'm not missing having the raw shit can me all the time when I was <laughs> You were their favourite commentator. Oh, I don't know what I did to those blokes. My God, who are they? Um, but no, you know, it was 21 years of commentating and yeah. uh, and I, I did um, I did love it, I've got to say. Um, you know, mostly, obviously, you get to um, what's great rugby, but, you know, it was a terrific commentary team that we had together. Yeah. Greg Clark is, you know, undoubtedly uh, the best commentator, I think, in the world. If he's not the best in the world, he's certainly top three or four. Um, and it's a pity to see him on the sidelines at the moment. And then, you know, working with Rod Kafer and George Gregg and who are, you know, two, two guys I was very close to as a player and, um, and they're just terrific to, to, to be around. So I enjoyed the company and, uh, and I enjoyed the job. But um, after 21 years, I'm actually quite happy getting my weekends back. And now I go up to go to Ramwick Rugby Club and go to, um, go to Mossman Rugby and watch my boys play. 
and uh, it, it's great fun. So I'm still oh. deeply involved. That that answers my next question. Are you, are you are you happy just to sit back on the couch and put the feet up and beer and remote and there we go? Yeah, couch is good. Normally with a glass of red, I've got a cup of tea um, here nice. tonight. But, nice. uh, but uh, no, I, I do enjoy it. I'm, I'm involved in Mossman Rugby Club. I'm the patron there. At Randwick, yep. I just go watch my son. But, you know, there's a whose bunch of guys down there, the guys that I used to play with, who's, yeah, whose sons are coming through now, you know, guys like Ben Donaldson um, uh, and, and um, uh, Will, Will Harrison. Harrison. of course, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I played with their dads and it's great to see um, those kids coming through. You just sort of have that little emotional connection to the guys. Even, mm. you know, Will and Ben probably wouldn't know me if they fell over me, but um, it's just <laughs> nice that you've got that connection with their dads. Mm. It's, um, it's, it's just that moment that we're all sort of getting on in age, though, isn't it, when you start watching Sons? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I, I turned what, what, what? What position, does your, does your, uh, what position does your son play? Uh, I've got one who's an open side and one who plays lock or uh, or number eight. Um, you know, one of them takes a little more seriously than the other. Um, the one that plays for Mossman, you know, when he was living at home, it was quite normal for him to get home from training on a Thursday night at midnight. And, uh, you know, of course, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when... When you got a $15 pint and schnitty at the local pub at the Buena Vista, then of course you're going to get home from training at midnight. Yeah, yeah. Different sorts of extras these days, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but very, very good. And, you know, I've been, as part of this World Cup um, sort of campaign, I've been to a number of the, um, let's say, once more struggling clubs, but also some country rugby clubs. And that, that's also great to get out there and, and, and see those guys in the bush and see what they're doing. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, we will get on to the Rugby World Cup bid very soon, but we probably need to tie, uh, tie a bit of a knot on, on the Super Rugby Pacific season for 2022. And again, the Blues, the kick, are in trouble. Knock us to say. Oh, seven weeks. Something out of absolutely nothing. But the man who does it best. It's gone. That's well and truly gone. The Crusaders have won another final. And the dynasty continues. The first Super Rugby Pacific title goes to the Crusaders. An emphatic 21 to 7 win over the Blues at Eden Park. So let's start. Where we start every week, Phil. What stood out for you from the final on the weekend? Uh, what stood out was clearly the dominance of the Crusaders. Um, mm. The way that they completely shut the Blues down. Um, they're a very clinical side. Razor Robinson's a terrific coach, um, mm. and you know if if um, New Zealand don't get it, give him a shot. Um, shortly, in, in, you know, the next year or two as a coach, he'll certainly be lost to some other overseas country, to Ireland or wherever he'll go. Um, mm. He's a very, very good coach with a very tight connection to his players, as you can see. And um, he's a very genuine guy. So it, it, it was certainly that dominance of the, the Crusaders. Um, that was terrific. Richie Mwanga having a, an awesome game, obviously. Um, I think probably the, the other thing more generally about the tournament was was I was heartened by the improvement of the Australian teams. Um, yeah, no doubt. 
No, certainly the Waratahs, and of course I'm going to say that. Um, the Waratahs were, were, you know, from no wins last year to eight. That's quite a big improvement. Um, but the other thing about <laughs> it was, you know, I think there's the, the first Waratahs game, I think there might have been a 1,000 people there, if that. Yeah. And then you see that last game at Leichhardt Oval, was, what, 18,000 there. And yeah, eight. yeah. And, and I've got some mates that went to that game that wouldn't normally go to rugby, and they just said the atmosphere was just fabulous. So that was great to see. Um, you know, I thought the Brumbies against the Blues, um, they should have won that game. They played <laughs> dumb. They made some really dumb decisions. Mm. Um you know, you take points. You just take points. That that's yeah. that's a test match. That game in a knockout game. Yeah. When you get three points on offer, you just take them. Yeah. Um, I know they've got a brilliant rolling mall and all that sort of stuff. But when you're playing against a team like the Blues and the Crusaders, they know how to shut those rolling mall down better mm. than anyone. And you're going to surprise them more if you keep taking points. Um, yeah. So I, I thought out, outside of the decision-making on that, the Brumbies have been terrific all year. And if there, there has been probably a disappointment, um, I thought it was, it was probably the Reds. I was expecting more yeah. from the Reds this year. You know, I'm not saying they were terrible or had a bad year or anything like that. I, I just expected a bit more. It's, it's, fair, it's fair to say they dropped off a bit once, once they lost. Tupo and, uh, and and James O'Connor for an extended period, which is yeah. which is which is going to raise all sorts of question marks. You'll um you'll be endearing yourself to the raw faithful straight away, mentioning the uh, the Waratahs, Phil. So so thumbs up there. <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great start. Harry, what stood out for you for the final? Yeah, I think Phil's right. Uh, first time I've ever been sitting on the raw, right? Uh, Phil's a controversial guy on the raw, but but I think he's right about taking points because. There's no mall, even the best ro- rolling yeah. mall is not as successful percentage-wise as a kick yeah. at poles. And so you have a lot of things to do. Look at Kurt yeah. Eklund trying to find his jumpers in the final. That's that's a lot of things uh, that can go wrong in a yeah. lineout, even a five-meter lineout. But for me, what stood out was was the lineout. So you have, I looked at all 10 of the lineout losses by the Blues, and it was a variety, it was a smorgasbord of losing lineouts. I mean, mm. Phil knows better than anyone on this show about how to find your jumpers in a lineout in the critical phase, but Kurt was absolutely befuddled. On the five-meter lineout, I think it was the third one or fourth one they lost, Crusaders put up two jumpers, two towers. Mm. That's mm. two lifters each and a jumper. There was no one mm. on the ground and a five-meter defensive uh, lineout. And Kurt really had nowhere to go. He, he would have been stolen twice. Um, sometimes it was a lob throw that got busted. Sometimes his jumper was higher than Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett was actually lower, but still got the ball. So that's a bad throw. Yeah. Then he then he got freaked out and started doing soft lobs that went over everyone. And yeah. at some point, I, th- I thought he should have just gunned it into the knees and just you know take a take a lottery. <laughs> just <laughs> was, just nail it, like. <laughs> and even the ones they won, they they were not clean wins. They were ragged. So yeah. you had actually fifteen or so lineouts that were just completely bunged up and. That is, you cannot, you can never win a final like that. I no, mean, everything else no. goes out the window. Yeah, no, it was, it's it was really in- messing with the hooker's head when you lose ten. You know, after you've lost the first three or four, your head's starting <laughs> to go like you, you got the yips. Like you, you've got yeah. a two foot part in front of you every time. You know, you, you throw on the ball, and it, it's tough. Yeah, it's also also must have been sad for for Phil to watch the final because it was like a New Zealand beauty pageant. It was the first time there was ever a New Zealand beauty pageant. I mean, have you ever heard of the winner of the New Zealand beauty pageant? Neither, neither have I. 
Um, but you know, listen, I love the Kiwis, <laughs> Brett. Don't worry, I, I defend Kiwis in court. You know what the Kiwis' defense in court is? What's Honestly, that? Your Honor, I was just helping the sheep over the over the fence. <laughs> you, you can't say that. How do Kiwis, Kiwis find how do Kiwis find sheep in the, the long grass, Bill? No idea. Delightful. Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's 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 telling that that Moanga kicked a drop goal to kick things off. And you talk about you mentioned taking taking the three whenever on offer, Phil. And that's yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was there. The opportunity was there. So, you know, penalty, what do you kick? Three, two from three penalties and a drop goal. So, yeah. Have you ever seen a, a set piece? Because their scrum got towed up by the end of it as well, Phil. Have you ever seen a, a set piece fall apart so spectacularly like that? No, and it, it just showed um, the lack of confidence that, yeah. um, you know, the Crusaders just got into their heads and, you know, yeah. what was in place at the start of the game and the confidence they probably went into in that final. It was a very good season the Blues had, um, but the confidence they went into quickly dissipated. Like, if you set yes. these falls, falls apart, your game falls apart. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as they say, the most important position to select is your tight head prop. Um, and when he's going backwards, that's that's a that's that's real bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and it's particularly- also, it, it, it also points out the problem of basing your whole game plan on clean breaks. I mean, the Blues yeah. had two breaks in the final, so your whole season you've been getting seven, eight, twelve. You finish up three or four, you win. Now suddenly there's nothing. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't have a plan B, and I think that's something that's constructive for Test rugby because that's more how Test rugby is played. Yeah. Yeah, that have that have been that have been so confident going in, having performed so well against what had been a pretty strong Brumby scrum all year, and they and they gave that a bit of a, a hammering in the semi final. So they would have been riding so high, and then just <clears throat> gone, absolutely gone. The, the Blues will learn enormously from that, and I think um, yeah, you know, the other thing about them is Leon McDonald is their coach, and uh, he, he not only was a quality player, he's a quality human being. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he's clever. And actually, he and Razor Robinson would have played a bit of rugby together over the years, no, yeah. no doubt. Um, but I think uh, if the Blues can keep Leon McDonald, they've got a piece of gold in that guy. And uh, and he's very, very highly regarded. And certainly yeah. um, amongst, you know, the Aussies that played against um, Leon, he's very highly regarded. Well, it's, did you, it's really did you ever did you ever develop the yips in a game like that? I was wondering, how do you get out of it? <laughs> what, what does a hooker do when... They've got they've got your playbook as Leo McDonald. I had him every test, mate. <laughs> <laughs> For, follow up question then: How many two foot putts do you miss? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, think it was. You know, the, the the things that you you know, it is a confidence thing, and really the only thing you can do, or I found to do, was to go back to the the very very basics, right back to the yep. beginning, and build that confidence up again. So, you know, when you're throwing the ball against the goalpost to try and make you, you start right back up against the post. You start one metre away and you just hit that spot, you know, a yeah. hundred times you hit that spot at one metre. And then you take your step back and then you hit it at two metres and you just keep going, you hit the spot and you hit the spot. And mm. it's just building that confidence right back up again is really, yeah. I, I found, all you can do um, to, to rebuild that confidence. You've done it once, you know you can do it again, but you've just got to get it in your head and, and in that, in that, um, uh, that practiced motion um, to get it right. There's not much else you can do. 
You're, you're, you're motioning there with, with two hands, Phil, but it's just, it's just occurred to me while you're talking that, would you have started out your career at senior rugby throwing one hand and then, and then the game graduated to the two hand throw? Yeah, I did start with one hand and, and, um, I remember there was a park office opposite um, Bob Dwyer's place and he came, he said, come on, we're going to go up and do some throwing. And I was literally throwing the ball to him. He said, we're going to try two-handed. He said, that's what some of the hookers around the world are doing, so we're going to give it a go yeah. too. So we um, sat there in the cliff, of the, the park on top of the cliff, the southern end of Coogee, of Coogee and just threw ball after ball to it. Yeah, right. So it was, you, you forced yourself into muscle memory effectively yeah. to, to, to gain yeah. the skill. I think Bob's yeah, message right. was quite clear. Either you go to two hand, or you may not be picked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Message. Yeah, right. So that was. It's not. It's not quite. It's not quite the line of professionalism that, that took in. It came in a few years before ninety ninety five. Oh yeah, no, they, they would have come in about um, the late eighties. Yeah, right. Yeah, and Sean Fitzpatrick certainly used it, and um, and so we copied. Yeah, right. The first, the first throw in a, first two handed throw in a game. How, how nervous? I, I don't remember it, but I'm sure it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, fair, fair, of course. Well, you but, know, going back then, you didn't lift in the line out either. No, true, um, true. So, so it was actually a, in, in, I was going to say it's a lot more difficult task, but in fact, um, the line out throwing these days with the complexity of the calls, um, you know, it was also quite difficult. We, we had, it was mm. pretty simple. Each jumper had three jumps. It was going forward, going straight up or going back. And that was it. But there was just no lifting. Um, yeah. So it was a bit of a dockside brawl around line-out time. Um, you know, today they get lots more clean air generally. Um, yeah. uh, but the they, they must have about 600 different permutations and combinations oh. of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a and, it's a different language now. Yeah. It's it's an absolute yeah. different language now. The, yeah, so Phil, in, we, uh, South Africa, in South Africa, we always lifted, but we also punched all the time as well. So <laughs> yes, yeah, you did. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't legal. <laughs> the uh, the the England series is now a bit over a week away. Um, this this must still just be your, your your favorite part of the year, going from from Super Rugby into into the first test of the year. Yeah, I mean, as a player, it was it was just wonderful the, antici- the anticipation of playing a test match. Like, it's, mm. it, it's a test match, and it's called a test match because it's a test, and and um, you're testing your own uh, abilities and resilience and skills and whatever against someone else, and with the aim of being the best. And um, it's always exciting when the team's announced. It's exciting. It's it's um, you know, it's it's quite an emotional time because um, yeah. you're always questioning: Am I going to be picked? Am I going to be picked? And and it's a relief when when your name is read out. Mm. Um, I don't care who you are; it's a relief when your name's read out, and then you get on with it, and then in, into the training. And it's um, it's just an exciting roller coaster that that you go on week in week out into the into the series, and you know. Mm. Um, I was lucky back in the day that we won. We won most of them, to to be honest, of, of the test this time of the year. Um, but it, it's just exciting to pitch yourself up against a, a team that 
like England, when was the last time they were here? It was probably what, five 20, years ago? 2016, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so 2016, you haven't played against them on your home soil for for uh, six years. So that, that's also exciting to, to see that and have them back in the country. Mm. And a bit of an end of an era because we won't, uh, after next year's World Cup, we'll see a, a bit of a tweaking of the global calendar and we won't see three test tours anymore, which I think is a, a great shame of the professional game these days. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing all different things about what's going to come out of this global season. I mean, what, what would be fantastic, I know Andy Marinos feels exactly the same way, is to have the tours come out here and still have a couple of those provincial games, which, which were also yeah. awesome to play against New South Wales country or to, to have them playing against the, the Queensland or whoever it might be. Yeah. Um, was not, it was not only great for... Australian rugby to see that and to have the England team or whoever it is going around the country. Um, but it was also exciting for to to be on that block when I was when we were touring and we might tour Ireland, you might play Connacht or Leinster or Munster, yeah. whoever it might be. Just those provincial games are fantastic. And and there was, you know, almost as much pressure there as the test match mm. because you just didn't want to get beaten by a provincial team. Yeah, um, yeah, and a couple of times we did. We lost to Swansea. We lost to um, uh, Munster uh, once on tour back around the early nineties. Mm. Um, but they were great games, and also a great opportunity to maybe have a beer or two with the opposition after the match yeah. and uh, and absorb the culture, as one would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember that the, the Brumbies beat Wales in Canberra, and I reckon that must have been ten years ago, easily. And um, and I I know they celebrated that one long and hard, <laughs> as you as you would do. What what did you what did you make of the, the Australian squad's been out for a while? What did you make of, of Eddie's England squad that he's um, that he's named earlier this week? I, you know, I, um, it's sort of hard to see because I don't watch a lot of, uh, of the, yeah. the UK rugby. So there's a lot of sort of new names. Uh, there's, well, there's a few new names in there. But the ones, you know, Marcus Smith, I've seen play a few tests. I yeah. mean, he's one hell of a footballer. So he's going to be exciting for Australians to be able to see. Um, Maro Otoji is, uh, is a special player. Um, yeah. And you know, we've seen him for probably the last, what, when did he debut? Maybe four or five years ago. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's an incredible athlete. Um, they play a different style to what we play, and it takes a little bit of adjusting to. Their scrummaging is always very, very good. Um, they do play a more set-piece game. But when you see Marcus Smith play and run, um, he, he's, he's one hell of a footballer. And I guess yeah. the other thing I'm looking forward to is hopefully, I think, I think Tom Liner's on the tour. Isn't he one of Noddy's boys? Uh, uh, no, no, no Lewis, Lewis, um, Lewis, Lewis was was let he was left out. He he was on the unavailability oh, list, he? unfortunately. So he's, yeah, he's he's uh, been left okay. out for for injury, unfortunately. But um, oh, but interesting injury. to see, okay. in, interesting to see Guy Porter um, yeah. there, you know, ex, ex ex Sydney Uni ex. Brumby's um, uh, inside back. He's got an English passport. Oh, obviously, um, you know, didn't he? Couldn't quite bust ahead of you know Iro Simone and Len Ikitao at the, the Brumbies two years ago. But suddenly he's a Premiership winner with yeah. um, with Leicester, and now he's on England tour. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think the Aussie backline is going to be fine. When I if I was picking a a fifteen, you know, on a pitch uh, just for fun. I would pick most of the Wallabies before I'd pick the English. Uh, sorry, mm. Eddie. 
But I think where it's going to really be decided, the coal face, Nick Frost, Jed Holloway, Matt Phillip, Darcy Swain. There's only yeah. 30 caps amongst those four guys. Um, they, they show promise, but I mean, until you go up against Maro Atoje, you don't know mm. what you are, right? So, okay, Nick Frost, let's go. Where mm. are you? I know Phil's been a winner at every part. You've been a winner at every kind of part of life, business. But you're not afraid of having enemies. You're not afraid of getting stuck in. That's the kind of mentality. You have to have a test footy, right? Yeah. You have to be a little bit ugly. You got to be a little bit, hey, let's go. Um, and that's the difference, I think. Mara Toje is going to be yapping in the ear, clapping, slapping, uh, coming into your space. And he's a defensive guy. He's not a good carrier. I'm not too sure I would worry about that. England has not been carrying over the gain line so much, but they almost give you the ball and say, hey, come into us and see what happens. Yeah, you know, have, a crack. The Saris, have a crack. The, the Saracens way. And Saracens lost because they couldn't do that, right? Mara Toje is yeah. tee off on a guy like Nick Frost in the first carry or or um, uh, Jed Holloway and say, what are you made of? Uh, mm. So I'd love to hear, yeah, Phil, what do you think about finding the mongrel? Eddie always talks about that. Are you a proper test animal? Yeah, I think you make a really great point. You know, you get two good, strong, aggressive locks and they can change your game. You know, I, I thought a few years ago we had um, Rory Arnold and, and Coleman together and I thought yeah. these guys are going to be a terrific combination moving forward. There was a lot of grunt between those blokes and exactly. unfortunately they went overseas and we lost yeah. them. Um, you know, if you go back when the Waratahs won and we had... Um, uh, God, Potgeeter, and I'm just trying to think who the other lock was, but but there was a grunt there. They, um, yeah, uh, it was a guy from up north from um, Yamba, and I'm just having a mental blank on his name. And uh, like, uh, Douglas, Douglas, um, yeah, Kane Douglas, yeah, oh, yeah. Kane Douglas, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. You know, those two guys together were just awesome, yeah, and you know, oppositions were scared of them, and and. Yeah. So you, you know you're spot on. We're going to need the the, the frosts and um, and those guys, Darcy Swains, to get that mongrel into them, and you know really prove themselves. And then we need to keep them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Adam Adam Coleman, I was absolutely sure was going to be a hundred test, probably a Wallaby captain, and just never never got there. Unfortunately. Conversely, where did where do you see the the Wallabies' advantages. What what do you like about the squad Dave Rennie's put together? Um, what I actually like is just seeing their development over the last two years mm. and actually seeing some skill. Um, over probably two decades, we've coached the skill and um, what's the innovation out of our and the flair out of our players. Uh, which has been a real disappointment because Australian rugby has always been built on skill and flair. Mm. Um, you know, try and get the Ella brothers and and pocket them into a tight game plan. Forget it. Like try and tell Campo you have to play this way. Um, yeah. You know that was never our strength, and we've gone down this path which um, is is not the way Australian rugby should be. And I think we've seen with with Dave Rennie. Uh, an increase in the skill level of the teams. I don't know, Michael Checker tried to work on that as well, but um, Dave Rennie's sort of getting a, an improvement in the skill level. Um, and I think there are some guys there that aren't afraid to take some some chances. Uh, mm. So I think that that general improvement is is what I've 
what I've liked across the board and the ability to take a few few risks and to use your skills. Um, I really liked um, last year when Quaid was in the team and he underplayed yeah. his game. When he yeah, he really did. Game, he, he is fantastic. Um, but we saw as that tournament, as the season went on, he started to do a bit of the ridiculous stuff, the, you know, 40 metre behind that head pass <laughs> thing. Yeah. Which, you know, flares one thing, but being ridiculous is, is another. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think Quaid is a terrific player when he underplays his game. He, he just directs yeah. traffic beautifully. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure uh, in what shape he's in, um, but I, I hope he's in good shape and I hope if he does get picked, he, he continues to underplay. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. He'll be a, a crucial part of the Wallabies team going forward, no doubt, and uh, we will get absolutely into the England series in a little bit more detail next week. Rugby on the roar. Phil, um, Great to, to get your insights on on where the England series is going to be run and won, but but we really wanted to, to have a, a chat to you about the Rugby World Cup bid and and have you it's it's we're what we're nearly a, we're nearly a month after the decision now have you you've had a bit of a time to reflect on the achievement and, and how massive it could be for for Australian rugby? Um. No, I, I guess that's sort of not me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that too, too much. I think, you know, there's so much to do um, ahead of us um, to make sure we put in place the building blocks to, to take advantage of it. Um, mm. uh, it, it. It was a terrific a, achievement by a terrific team, not, not only from, you know, Hamish McLennan and, and Andy Marinos, but the, the, the team that were sort of really hands-on uh, Anthony French and, and mm. Liz and Alicia and Tom and uh, Patty Ayres, you know, just it was a really good group that had different skills that all came together at the same time. It was like a, a rugby team in itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was great fun to be part of it, but um, challenging. Uh, and, you know, everyone kept their eye on the ball because we knew how important it was for Australian rugby. And mm. to... to you know, our, not only um, for the growth of the game, but economically for, for our game as well. You know, we've had a tough, tough time. Um, but bringing this back with England coming out, the, the British Lions, and then the two World Cups that we've got in 27 and 29, and then the Olympics in 32 with the sevens, that's a mm. great runway for the mm. country to have. And, and um, you know, one of the great moments I, I had through, through the whole thing was coaching some um, some kids up in in Brisbane. Lottie Takiri was doing most of the work and coaching them. And um, there were some girls afterwards, and and uh, it was girls and boys in the clinic. And there were some three girls about 14, 15 years of age, um, three Islander girls, and they had vowed that those three would be together in the front row um, playing for Australia in twenty twenty. Oh wow. Oh, that's cool! Wow, isn't that great? That you know, this yeah. this is so inspirational for for three girls to want to just keep going, and uh, yeah. yeah, it sends a great message. Yeah. So, so the bid team has now effectively wound up. What's look, what's the process now? There'll be have to be a an organisation committee put together. Um, 
where do you fit in? Where are you putting your hand up? What plum job are you trying to score for yourself going forward? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm not trying to score any plum job for myself. Um, I, I've I've got a job as well. Um, I run a company called AV Jennings. Uh, so that's my that's my real job. The rugby one was terrific along the way, and certainly rugby Australia and I are having or will have chats um, down the track about what a potential role could look like. And if it makes yeah. sense and I'm helping the game, then then I'm very happy to do it. Um, but yes, the, the process is to, to put a bit of a team together um, to roll out the actual implementation of the games mm. um, or, or of the tournament. Um, you know, that team will build up over the next few years. It'll be quite small for the first few years and then it'll build, build up certainly around... 20, the end of 24 and, and into 25, it'll start to grow from there. Um, we've already put um, a few things in place around the legacy that we want to leave for the tournament. You know, we've got uh, we've got a program together now where, where Rugby Australia is is funding uh, a, a guy to go around, Michael Flood, who's going around to help clubs be administered better, to become profitable. Um, yep. You know, money doesn't solve every problem. In fact, what solves the problems is is the grassroots and the people that are emotionally connected to their clubs getting in there and pitching in, but doing it in a, in a fashion um, where they're given some guidance and it makes sense. And that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to guide these rugby clubs into profitability, but also just to be better run because people will turn up if the club's well run, if their jerseys yeah. are washed and clean, if the corner post is set up, if the goalpost pads are on, if the barbecue runs efficiently, if the yeah. garbage bins are set out properly, if all that stuff, it adds yeah. to the community spirit and the community event. And, um, and we're seeing that. And so far we've had some input. The Legacy Program has had input into West's Parramatta uh, Southern Districts and Newcastle, and they're working with um, uh, Barker Old Boys at the moment, and there's about four other clubs that have lined up that we're uh, about to try and help. So the next phase of that program, it's been very, very successful, is to um, have, you know, a bunch of more fluties running around um, yeah. running around the country helping these clubs. Uh, you know, it's, it's simple things about how to run a one of your social events, it's, it's how to run your barbecue, it's how to get sponsors mm. in, uh, all those simple things that, that clubs, if they do it themselves, they get a better result. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, it's, this proves my point that I've always wondered. You know, hookers, when they're playing, are the spicy psychos of the team. Um, and what, when they finish rugby, they're always the smart guys. They have, like, their CEOs. They, something going on in a hooker's brain. But and I also wondered, you were a very outspoken critic, Phil, and then now you're in, you know, you're in the you're the, the fox in the hen house. Well, do they kind of say, hey, you're the bad boy in school, so we're gonna make you prefect? Is this is this what <laughs> they, they decided? You'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll have noted the irony when 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 this when this this conversation first started about getting on board of the, the bid process, surely. <laughs> you know, it's um I guess the, the best way I I could put it, I have been the bad boy a couple of times, um, <laughs> uh, the perceived bad boy. And, you know, I, I um, helped the game go professional in 1995 in, and into yeah, 96. True. And true. I was told back then that I'd never captain the country again. Um, and that was true. And um, <laughs> what I did, Yeah, that's, that's true too. Yes. <laughs> and what I did was for the good of the game. And yeah. in the instance around the captain's letter, um, 
I wasn't doing it because I disliked anyone or anything like that. It was about doing what was right for the game. And yeah. the administration at that time had completely lost its way. Um, and the administration is what event essentially drives the game. Um, mm. You know, so the players get out there and play, but you need someone behind the scenes to make it grow and thrive and, um, and work. And it, it completely lost its way. And mm. so, again, yeah, I'm the bad guy, so what? But what I did was right for the game. It, um, it's, it's, yeah, it seems like in every country has its own flavour and character. I'm sure your World Cup is going to have a theme. You know, New Zealand had a sort of one little island. Everyone's, you know, everyone's your friend. You know, the London World Cup was very cosmopolitan, very different. I'm, I'm not sure what the French will do. What is the Australian World Cup big story, big theme? You know, how, how are you going to sell it to the world? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things we want to do. One, one is we want everyone to see the whole of the nation, not just come yeah. to a couple of places. It's not just Sydney and Brisbane. It's the whole of the country. Um, you know, where, where we're really lucky in Australia now is that we've got um, states, five states with amazing venues. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, Tasmania and Northern Territory are going to miss out. Um, yeah. But, so know, so, so, got, so the ACT, won't it? Canberra Stadium won't ACT be part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the lunacy down there of their government that they don't have a proper stadium. Um, so they're not only not getting a Rugby World Cup game, they're not going to get a FIFA, a, a FIFA Women's World Cup match. Yeah. Um, they're missing out in concerts and, you know, all that sort of stuff that the rest of us get. Um, the government down there are just complete lunatics. Um, and... You know, we've tried to say to them, build it and they will come. If you look at Perth, who would have thought that Perth would have had two Bledisloe Cup matches um, by now and they're going yeah, to have an England test? True. Like, it would have been unheard of that that, that would happen. Now they've got this incredible new stadium and they're actually in the running to have the final of the Rugby World Cup. Mm. Um, you know, their time zone is good. They've got a 67,000-seat amazing stadium. And build it and they will come. Mm. Um, so, you know, but we've got Adelaide Oval, which is sensational. Now we've got the Springbok test there this year, which is going to be amazing. I can't wait to get there for that. Adelaide's mm. just a terrific place. And then you've Harry, got the Harry's, Mos- Harry's flying in for it. Yeah, Harry. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, Phil, you and me. Let's go. <laughs> there is wine there, son. There is wine, not just mother. Just, I can't, I can't. I, I can't believe I'm having to say this to Phil Kearns, but just be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> I'm going to drink it all, test it all. Don't worry. So that's, that's yeah. fantastic. You know, you've got um, New South Wales and, and uh, with, with three grounds. You've got Melbourne with three terrific grounds. You've got Queensland with a couple if, if their government plays ball. Um, it's just to see the whole country. But also we've got 76 training venues that we've uh, identified mm. right across the country from Darwin down yeah. to Tasmania, from Albany up to, you know, Townsville uh, and everywhere in between. We've got these training venues that we've identified. And so we're going to encourage teams to come and, and not just see Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne, let's see the rest of the country. Yeah, and that's going to be fantastic. What were the what were the key moments along the way, uh, along the process? And, and I suppose when did you know that the bid was won? Um, you know, COVID was helpful to us in a way. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the prospect of um, the job I was going to be doing was actually sold to me that I'd be travelling the world 
um, meeting world rugby delegates, you know, from Georgia and the Philippines and, you know, everywhere in between. <laughs> and that little COVID thing happened. So, uh, so that it didn't end up happening. But what it meant was that Australia um, was, was really judged on two things. It was the venues and the infrastructure that we have in this country, which is fabulous. Um, and the second thing was our experience in hosting major events, you know, from Olympics yeah. to T20 Cricket World Cups, to one-day yeah. Cricket World Cups, um, you know, cycling, Commonwealth Games, whatever it may yeah. be, we do big events well. And it was really those those two things that, that Australia was a safe pair of hands. So COVID was actually helpful to us. I guess the second part of it was um, achieving the government funding um, yeah. from the state and federal governments. Um, who, who were very supportive. The tourism bodies around the country um, paid a little visit to the Tokyo World Cup in 2000, or the Japan World Cup in 2019. And, you know, a few of those tourism bodies hadn't seen what a World Cup can do. And once they were there, they went, wow, we, we want this. Um, and just just so seeing jer jerseys from every country around the world. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, going to be the thing. I forget how many, what percentage of Japan was watching the quarterfinal against the box. Oh, huge. but I think I think it was actually very high. I mean, for for yeah. a, for a sport that many didn't know, in Australia people do know rugby union, but they might have a, a league preference or an AFL preference. Mm. Is this the way? Is this really the only way in Australia to actually get that you know that that win over league? Is you have to have a big event and a big show. It was twenty years ago for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, the win over league, you know, I think we win over league every week. Um, <laughs> Good answer. We, answer. <laughs> we, we have a different game um, yeah. with different values and, uh, and that's what's special about our game. The other thing that's special about our game is that if you want to be or if you are the best player in the world in rugby league or AFL, you're the, only the best player in Australia. But if you're the best yeah. player in the world in rugby, you are the best player in the world. There's no doubt about mm. it. Um, you know, 120 countries play our game, and and that's that's really special. Um, so so I think we we do win every time. Um, we don't have the money that they have here, but you look at the way our game's growing globally, and particularly the growth of women in, in our sport um, globally, uh, is a really really important factor. Um, so we shouldn't undersell ourselves and. Yeah, in Australia, um, rugby league and AFL is a big thing. But um, given you're in Texas there, how much AFL and rugby league have you watched when you've been over there in Texas? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a decision by those sports to become parochial only and localised only. Mm. And it's like someone saying the world champ, world series in baseball. I mean, it's, it's meaningless because it's only mm. in one country. So, yeah. but I was thinking that cramming it down the throat in Melbourne, like here is a World Cup. Here are the 120 countries. Here are the 20 great mm -hmm. countries of rugby. What can you do, League? There's no way you can match this. It's, no. it's, yeah. To me, it's to me a little boy watching that, a little kid, a little girl is going to be affected by that. And 15 years later, they're playing Union, mm -hmm. not League. Yeah, so what, our what legacy is, program really starts now. And, yeah. and, you know, the legacy doesn't start in 2027. The legacy starts now. And, and mm -hmm. so it's what we can do over the next three or four years before the tournament um, or four years, five years before the tournament comes up. And then how, how do we grow on that afterwards? You know, the, right. the, in Japan, there was a million kids touched a football that had never touched a footy before. 
Um, yeah. The problem there was that there was nothing for them afterwards, and we've got to make sure there's something for them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You and you and Hamish McLennan and, and Andy Marinos um, are, are very much on the same page, and, and your your messaging throughout these these last eighteen months, two years, so has been has been very very consistent. How how confident are you about the direction that they're taking Rugby Australia now? Oh, I, you know, Hamish has done a fabulous job. Um, he's very decisive. He um, has a terrific vision. He knows the values of the game and the history of the game, and he, and he thinks about that. Um, and he's not scared. He'll, he'll make Certainly a call. Not. And, if that, no, and if that call upsets <laughs> someone, but if it's right for Australian rugby, then he'll do it. And I think that's, that's really important that we're not pandering to the rest of the world. We're actually trying to partner with the rest of the world, and we've shown that through this World Cup campaign. Um, Andy is absolutely the right guy for the job. Um, so Hamish has made the right decision there. Um, you know, he's he knows rugby intimately, both as a player from a club level, a provincial level, yeah. um, from the European level, the South African level, and the Australian uh, perspective. Um, and he knows the whole television scene and what's going on there. So he, he's the right guy for the job. Um, and uh, and that's been terrific. Um, and then the bid board that Hamish put together was, was incredible. You know, um, uh, John Howard, Sir Peter Cosgrove, Sir Rod Eddington, Olivia Worth, um, Elizabeth Gaines, mm. just terrific people. John Coates, um, Elsie and Gary Ella. You know, it's a terrific group of people that all pitched in when we needed them. And uh, so, you know, that was a great initiative from, from Hamish. Um we, we are very aligned in our messaging because we all want the same thing, and that's the growth yeah. of, of Australian rugby. There's no, there's no agenda. There's, there's nothing else out there but the growth and the success of Australian rugby. Um, now, I'm sort of, as we've said, I'm, I'm out of it. Um, but if we've got the right people there, I'm going to support it. Um, yeah. What, what's Hamish doing right now? What are these messages in the week this week? where he's taking a few shots at New Zealand, pointing out that they get about 90 million, you guys get 33 million, uh, and saying maybe this is not a good deal for us. Does it sound like a good deal to you? <laughs> but what's, but, but as, a, as a negotiator, obviously you're in, you're in a property and, and so forth. Is, is this a start of a negotiation? Is it a, is it a shot over the bow? What is it? Um, both, both of those things. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it feels know, like think- all of the above. Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, you want to be a good partner with New Zealand. We both need each other. And mm-hmm. just this constant sniping. I mean, New Zealand have treated us pretty poorly um, and over the last probably 15, 20 years. Now, to be fair, we haven't been very good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, both on the field and off the field. Um, I think, you know, in many instances, our, our administration has been poor and whether some of that decision making has been driven by whoever the CEO was at the time or whether it's been driven by the board, I'm, I'm not sure it doesn't matter. But but we weren't getting the right results for Australian rugby. Um, uh, we haven't been winning as much as we'd like to win um, on the field and that doesn't help. Um, Australian, well, any country loves winners. Um, we've seen, you know, the Waratahs this year, as we said before, a thousand at the yeah. first game and 18,000 at the last. Yeah. Um, you know, just pretty that. good blueprint. Yeah. Pretty good blueprint, so, isn't it? So, um, 
So Australia, we, we just want a fair deal. You know, yeah. I, I think it's right that we do play against New Zealand. That's great. But if it's not the right deal for us, we'll go do something else. The, the, mm. the world is changing. Um, the world of rugby is changing, but the world is changing. And, it, and if you think of where we are now with the growth of women's rugby, we've seen the rise um, of Japan and hopefully the rise of USA now because, you know, them getting the World Cup will, will be a huge growth factor for them. We see Amazon and Google and these other places come mm. in terms of streaming services. Stan, now we're watching it on and it's not like on the ABC like it was 30 years ago when I was playing. You know, the, the, the global rugby world has has changed. We've got the money in Europe, the money in the UK, the, the money in the USA um, and, and Japan. The world's changing. And if we need to do a different deal to ensure the growth of Australian rugby, then we'll do a different deal. One theory is that Australia likes uh, an intra-Australia competition where you have Queensland versus New South Wales at the very end. You're going to have 50,000 people in the stands and you're going to have a good viewership. Another theory says that you fall behind when you don't test yourself against the best. You know, New Zealand kicked South Africa out and maybe they regret it now because their forward play was always based on playing, uh, playing us. Uh, now Ireland is the beneficiary. So I, you're right, it's a flux. But what's the best for Australia? What's the Australian way for rugby to thrive? Uh, and is, is Hamish testing out this, uh, this kind of theory? I guess the real answer to that question is we, we probably don't know what's best. We, we thought um, that the Super Rugby was going to be the best for our game and, and we've seen our results over the Tri-Nations not being anywhere near as good as what we would like it to be and, and the Rugby Championship. Um, so was that the best way to go? When we won the World Cups in 91 and 90, 99, um, you know, in 91, we did only have domestic competition. So it was only New South Wales and Queensland. It was club footy. And in fact, if you look at where England are, they only have club footy. And then they go straight to test level. Um, so, so that model can work. Is it right for Australia? I don't, I don't know. But... Um, you know, it's it's we, we've got to do some experimenting experimenting there. But you know, if if the deal is that we only get thirty and they get ninety, then maybe out of having domestic comp, we could make forty or fifty, and we do a better mm. deal on our own. Um, I know it's not just about money, but um, you know, you got to run your game. We need we need to have the grassroots growing as well, and you do need money to do that as well as that admin help that I talked about before. Yeah, yeah. Look, it certainly sounds like it's going to be a conversation that goes on for a whole lot longer than just these this last week and and the next few. Phil, it's been great to get your insights um, about the bid process. Um, it's been fantastic to talk to you again. As I said, it's been it's been too long since I've bumped into you, personally speaking. Um, but great to see that uh, you know after after being the vocal critic, you're ab you're absolutely on board, and, and um, it's just been great to talk to you tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, uh, thanks very much, guys. And you know, I've always been on board Australian rugby. It's just um, we, we've got to get behind it now. We've got a couple of good, good guys driving the ship, and um, it's all aboard. And there's nothing to be negative about about rugby um, in Australia. You know, we've got this this pathway taking us to the the 29 Women's World Cup and beyond. Um, and when someone starts telling you about how rugby's in bad shape, um, we're on the way back. The roar. 
Harry, great to speak with Phil Kearns. Um, such the passion for Australian rugby just um, it's it just it, it it oozes out of him still. Um, great, it was great to have a chat to him, wasn't it? Yeah, it seems like he's a guy who really knows how to get stuff done. Um, mm. Does it does it ruffle feathers? Does it rub someone the wrong way from time? To time? Uh, absolutely, but I think he owns that. And mm. Australia is probably you're probably lucky to have a guy like that pushing because mm. you're in a such a tough environment uh you you need someone who believes that much in union yeah it reminds me very much much of um augustin pichot for, for argentina just yeah. like passionate almost to a fault so you know you just it's just great to have him on board pushing our barrow and, and great to have him on the podcast um you mentioned getting the job done the stormers have claimed the maiden united rugby championship title beating the Bulls 18-13 in Cape Town. Am I right? This is the Stormers' first title as a franchise. They never played a Super Rugby final, did they? Yeah, exactly. In the professional era, it's always been horribly administered. I mean, even two years ago, it was just a sinking ship, 400 million rand owed. Um, Province nearly went, nearly went under. Yeah. And so the, the team that won had you know a 22-year-old scoring a try and a 20-year-old scoring a try. Uh, Ruiz and Fenter, and then you have old guys like Dion Free at 35, and, and yeah, Brock Harris, who looks like he's 60 years old. So, and you have so it's really a different kind of win. That's why I was so emotional. I was so emotional yeah. because Western Province won everything domestically for decades, but never been able to crack the code professionally. Uh, biggest catchment area, biggest talents, but you know most yeah. of the players you know from South Africa actually come from Western Province, but they play for someone else, and. Yeah. John Dobson did such a good job of recruiting. So that's yeah. kudos to him. And, yeah. and and the and the emotion um in his voice um, straight after the win was very, very obvious. It's actually just relief because we wanted to do this. It's just relieved that we've done it. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, obviously I'm thrilled. Well, I'm incredibly proud of this bunch of chaps, you know, where they've come from, what they've been through. It's amazing. You're you're a coach for the people, you're a coach for your players. We saw Skyrim to Benny. What does this mean as a Western Province and Stormers supporter, first of all, and now being the coach? Oh, you know, this is the it means the world to us, to me, to have province our name back where it should be. It makes it means the world to me, it really does. In the in the English Premiership, Freddie Burns was the hero for Leicester Tigers. He kicked a late drop goal to beat Saracens uh, to claim their first premiership title since 2013. Uh, hell of a final. Hell of a final, I mean, yeah, a lot of, uh, uh, not not unsurprising. It was decided by a kick because holy moly, Gilberts don't kick, kick that much in again the Gilbert Factory. Hundred and five yeah, kicks you, for the game. To give you context, over hundred kicks. You know, World Cup two thousand nineteen. People thought that is a very kicking. It was maybe forty five total. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's how much kicks. I, I think. Um, I think you look at those tries those scored by two South Africans. Pretty important, no? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, Bavisa. I knew you'd be you'd be watching on Ooh, there. And, he is on top, top yeah, form. But uh, yeah, really I do good. think Eddie. I think Eddie has some problems in in how to play in Australia. I think some of that style, mm. you know, is going to be difficult to interpret. Yeah, to your yeah. harder harder grounds. I, I, I love the little the little side stories um, out of it. It was it was mentioned that you know, Richard Brig- Rich, Richard Wigglesworth was brought in to start for for Leicester. He's now won seven premiership titles with Sale, Saracens, and Leicester. He's won four European trophies, two domestic cups. I mean, there's not too many players that would boast a record like that uh, in the modern game. It's it's just it's quite incredible. Um, the the 
the sad story out of it, unfortunately, is that George Ford is likely to miss the start of next season with his new club sale. Um, he's confirmed to have a, a ruptured Achilles injury, which is what forced him off early in the game. So that was a massive shame there. There were some international games played uh, over the weekend. Japan beat Uruguay 34-15 at the Prince Chichibu Stadium in Tokyo, which, of course, we remember was the home of the mighty Moon Dogs, the mighty Sun Wolves. <laughs> The, uh, the Barbarians, of course, beat England 51-22 uh, at Twickenham. Um, some other news. World Rugby confirmed on Tuesday that they will extend the current seven-day uh, concussion stand-down return-to-play protocol period by five days from July Good. 1st, which will push the compulsory stand-down period for affected players out to 12 days. So that will take effect before the start of the the, the July internationals, uh, good. I agree. Yeah, I think it. I think it had to happen. Um, the distinguished career uh, in Australia, at the very least, of Matt Toomua looks to be over. Um, the 32-year-old's been granted a release from his final year of his contract with the Rebels and Rugby Australia, and it looks like he's going to take up a, a fairly hefty deal in Japan. Played 54 tests, 80 odd super super rugby games for the Rebels and the Brumbies. Uh, he played 40-odd games for us, Tigers as well. So, um, you know, malign player, I think, toward the back end of his career, but was always a, a quality player. And he's still got a few good years left in him, I have no doubt. On the other hand, Queensland and Wallabies winger Suliasi Vunivalu has said that the lure of playing a World Cup um, for Australia is too much to turn down at the moment. So he's re-signed. For, for one more year till the end of next year. The Highlanders have confirmed that assistant coach Clark Dermody will take over from Tony Brown, who will uh, finish up the Highlanders and now dedicate his time towards uh, Japan and the, and the World, World Cup next year. Um, in France, Castres beat Toulouse in the semi-final will play Montpellier in the top 14 final, who um, Montpellier beat Bordeaux. So the finals this, uh, this weekend in Paris... Uh, we've not mentioned the Curry Cup, actually, Maiden, and Griekers and the Pumas will, will win, have won through to the final. They beat the Blue Bulls and Free State in their respective semis. So uh, Griekers will host that in Kimberley this weekend. In Major League Rugby, Rugby New York will host the Seattle Seahawks in the championship match this weekend uh, at a New York venue that hasn't been announced at the point that we record this. So I think that's coming, coming out Tuesday, American time. First time, I think, the final... Will be played on the East Coast as well, which is massive for the game yeah, over there. And it's it's uh, free to air, so everyone can watch it. Yeah, fantastic. In the US, have yeah. to try and find a find a way of checking that out, and we'll we'll touch base on how that ends up next week. But that is episode twenty two of the Raw Rugby Podcast, run and one. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the socials. Don't forget to drop us a line on the Raw when the new episode page lands, uh, and check out. The final week of Super Rugby Tipping this week where the panel go down memory lane for their season highlights. The pod is on all the major platforms now. So like us, follow us, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to ensure the new episode drops into your notifications as soon as it goes live and leave us a review. We will absolutely read them out. We can't wait to to hear from you. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate the home of all your favourite rugby analysis and opinions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come play with us. One more for the road. What do two Kiwis say after breaking up? Let's just be cousins. We love you, Kiwis. <laughs> <laughs>